Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. All right. Again, most people don't know me. I'm going to move this up a little bit because I tend to walk around a little bit. All right. So uh, just kind of introduction again. Uh, my name is Randy Thornton. I'm senior pastor at Grace Church. Been there 30 years, uh, going on 30 years. We moved there with a single gal and uh, a, a fam- what I call a dysfunctional family uh, 30 years ago. And back then, we were part of a group of churches called Impact Churches. We really didn't know how to plant churches well. Uh, so starting out with, you know, a, a single gal and, and, a, and a family uh, and uh, $300 a month support and go, go plant a church. Oh, wow. That's just the way to do it. Uh, we've kind of learned how to do that a lot more effectively over the years. So we're a part of a group of churches, and probably two of the key things that we do, we're, we are a spirit-filled group of churches, uh, but we're very kingdom-minded, uh, and we plant churches and we train leaders. We, everybody say plant churches, train leaders. Plant churches, train leaders. So this last year, in conjunction with our church in Fayetteville, uh, Michael Fletcher, when, when they sent us out, uh, there are about 350 people. Uh, they, they just had 14,000 people for Easter. Uh, woo, okay, uh, 260 plus salvations. Uh, so we were sent out 30 years ago, and uh, you know, as a young Bible college student graduating, I thought surely is that we were their first church plant. That I was uh, working at, w- with UPS, going through those years, thinking I was going to be able to quit uh, UPS soon uh, after going through Bible college, and we started the church, and so. Uh, 13 years into UPS, I'm going and church plant, so I was, you know, pretty well exhausted at that time. So I remember 10 years into our church plant, we were doing the 50, 75, 90 yo-yo. And when God had told me to go to where I am, it's Southern Pine, North Carolina, Pinehurst, it's all these little uh, pine towns. Uh, the the three little towns close together make 35,000. Um, and the whole county, which is pretty extended, uh, is in the 90,000. But it, most of the most of the populace that come to Grace would come right out of that 35,000. So God told me to take the city. And I'm going, Lord, I don't understand what that is. And I thought it meant start a church. And so 10 years into it, still working UPS. By this time, 13 years of two jobs full-time, I'm getting pretty exhausted, having very little impact. And God began to take me on a journey, and I'm going to take you on some of that journey today. Uh, we have a message that we're going to deliver today, but we also have a place where this church, for many of you guys, are, are very, you have some guests here, but Pastor Willie, who has, how many, how many years has Pastor Willie been here? Minerva? How many? 20 years, 20 years, and so, uh, so we were helped. So we've been knowing Willie for I don't know how many years, long time. So Willie's been. Uh, there's two gentlemen on your. You have elders here locally, but you also have people who are on your oversight team. I happen to be one of those two, uh, myself and Jerry Daly. And uh, for those that are visiting, Willie Taylor is. Uh, for the last 10 years, I have permission with the family just just kind of bringing everybody up to date. For the last 10 years, Willie has been struggling with leukemia, a mild form there with cancer. And last year he had uh, some problems with his lungs had, and his 
ongoing health in the last uh, several months. Uh, Willie got up to preach one morning and couldn't speak, and they took him to the hospital, and he has ultimately had an infection in his brain, two spots on his brain. Uh, they went in and did surgery, and now they are able to get everything under control. But uh, am, am I correct in everything I'm said, Minerva? Okay. And fa- family's given me permission uh, to share all these facts. And so Willie right now is a great guy. We love Willie. He's, he's pioneered and planted and worked hard and all this stuff here. Uh, he's, like, amazing. Okay? So this church is at a very crucial juncture. Uh, in their size, uh, their, their uh, systems, their process, all this. I, and again, I've been meeting with Willie. Uh, we've been involved with Willie personally as a church uh, for multiple years. Uh, we've had lots of people different through the years coming down here. I've been down here many times. Uh, I meet with Willie once a month on, uh, you know, through the, uh, you know, like face FaceTime, having appointments with him, just talking about the church, the direction of the church, future of the church. So where we are right now is Willie is going to have to be in the hospital anywhere between six to eight more weeks, all right? Uh, One of the things that's possibly led to uh, some of his medical problems is the amount of uh, stress. You know, you take uh, battling with leukemia, health issues, uh, just just doing a lot himself. He and he and Brandy in this church is some of the most amazing people. I mean, really, I work with churches all over the place. You guys are amazing. I promise you, you really are. Uh, but so what we're going to do with Willie is uh, our church uh, is going to help uh, for the next six months commitment to help you guys uh, get involved, grow, gain traction, develop systems, get healthy. What we're going to do is is for the first two months, we're just going to just sit here and see how, how much uh, Willie still is after his surgery, uh, suffering with some cognitive abilities, uh, but it is quickly, anytime you go in and cut something out of your brain, it, it takes a little, the body is a resilient, amazing thing, uh, and, but Willie is recovering really well, continue to be in prayer. We, we are a church that believes that God does miracles, and we can tell you thousands of stories to back that up, you know, it's not. He did that a, a few years ago. He did. It, he does it all the time. Amen. So we're going to believe that. We're going to believe that God's going to restore Willie's abilities. But again, we're in the season when, even if Willie comes back in two months, let's say in two months, we're, we're we as his oversight team and then met met with the elders, met with the staff here. We're going to give Willie a four month sabbatical. Now, that means that he's got to just get healthy. Is that okay? All right. So. Now, you guys don't know who in the world I am. Some of you do, but we're we're going to provide uh, this church some some resources that you don't have available at the, you know, again, you've always had access to us. But what we're going to do is we're going to be here to help you guys uh, through this season uh, to get just to get healthy. All right. It's healthy for Willie, but healthy. And it's not that you're unhealthy, but we're we're here. uh, Our church now. Uh, last Easter, we had 22, how about say Jeremiah 29.11. Say Jeremiah 29.11. So we had 2,911 people in attendance, and we had 575 on online. So we had over thir- almost 3,500 people, our church in Fayetteville. And so we're going to, as our church, we're going to, uh, you guys are now our, our new partnering, sistering, 
Uh, we're not here to take over. We're here. We've always been involved, guys. M- many of you guys don't know that. We've already for years been involved in this church. But we'll be providing uh, between the church here uh, and Sam, different speakers here, as well as our church and Impact Churches, uh, we're going to just infuse just a whole lot of stuff uh, into this church. Is that okay? And so, you know, one of the things I did this morning is uh, for this last week, we've had multiple meetings with the, with Brandy, and the staff, the elders, the family, and uh, just what we want to do is we want to find out what is the heart of God? What is the vision God's given this church? What is God, the vision God's given Willie uh, and we're here to help facilitate, and guys, I'm going to tell you, I really am as excited. I, I, as I was wa- driving around this community, the presence of God was on me, and I uh, just sense that there's really, uh, you know, it's like this when I was talking with Willie. I said, Willie, I think some God's going to do some amazing things in this season, uh, and j- God's going to do it, but he's not going to do it through Willie. Guess who he's going to do it through? He's going to do it through you guys. And I believe that, uh, I, I'm just going to tell you, I believe this church is getting ready to grow. I mean, you're, you're saying, Randy, we're, we're going to do some things. So, you know, guys, part of Impact, like last year alone, uh, one of the kids that grew up in our church, uh, uh, when we went through a tragedy, his father passed away. And he, he was one of my worship leaders. And God told me he needed to step down. And he said, Randy, why do I need to step down? I said, I just, God told me. And I said, Lord, I don't understand. After two or three months, he came back and he was sitting in my office that that day. And he says, he says, Randy, I can't understand why God did. But this last two to three months have been the best months of my life. I have spent more time with God, more time with my family. We've had more fun. And he says, I am just so excited with what God's doing in the church and what God's doing with my family. And then that Sunday, he was sitting in my office, like from here to there. And uh, that Sunday, I preached on what heaven was going to be like when we went there, when we die and go to be with the Lord. That afternoon, his name was Joby Adams. That afternoon, Joby was cutting some wood with one of the guys on the worship team, splitting some firewood, and he had a massive heart attack at age 38. And died. Now, first of all, I'm glad that we obeyed God and did what he told us to do. But the hardest thing to this day as a pastor I ever had to do is because this family, my wife had grown up with with Joby. They they grew up in the same town. This guy had helped us pioneer the church is to sit here and take his four children and tell them that their father had gone to be with Jesus. And so you're thinking, how in the world could something come out of that difficulty, out of that tragedy? Now, what happened is, at his funeral alone, this guy was a school teacher. He knew everybody in Moore County. That's our county. And at his funeral alone, over 50 people gave their life to Christ. That young family, his mother was my secretary, and... She had been. She was with me. She was on the worship team, and this family was intricately involved. The, the oldest boy was Joseph, 12 years old. Well, this last year, with our church in Fayetteville, we planted a church in Colorado Springs. On uh, when was it, Desiree? Where's Desiree? 
there, Desiree? When was it? January? January, in the middle of a snowstorm, their first Sunday, they had 432 people and 26 salvations. On Easter Sunday, they had 733 people and 42 salvations. That's the little kid that grew up in the midst of tragedy, grew up in our church, discipled, trained, went off to Bible college, came back. At that time, I didn't have a staff position. I sent him to our church in Fayetteville. They had a staff, and now we partnered together and planted the church. This last year, our group of churches, we planted a church in Hawaii that's already running over 400. I sent my student pastor, one of my student pastors to be up there. He's the worship leader uh, there in Hawaii. We have over 400 there. We also planted a church in Fort Walden Beach, Florida. And again, we're running over 400 there. So we're, we, we do two things for our group of churches. What do we do? Plant churches, train leaders, plant churches. So, folks, what we're doing is, fortunately, I have a staff large enough now where for the last couple of years we've been grooming so I can go and help uh, churches. Now, let me tell you what happened. Is at 100 people doing the 50, 75, 90 yo-yo, God spoke to me. He says, Randy, there'll be a day when Grace Church is 4,000 men. I said, Lord, I don't have 35 men, 40 men in my church, let alone 4,000 men. And I sure wasn't going to tell somebody that God spoke to me. 4,000 men. But see, I'm a firm believer that God still speaks to his people. That God does miracles. And folks, we have seen. And so God took me through, right at that time, through a process. And he said, Randy, I didn't call you to start a church. I called you to take the city. And I said, Lord, what do you mean? He says, Randy, it's not just about you building a good church. So at that time, I began to become a student of how to Help the church grow. How to how to develop systems. How to do effective evangelism. How to make impact. But folks, we're we're we believe that God moves. We're spirit filled. And what, what what we've found is if you'll just do what He tells you to do, and and make church a, a place where you can impact people. Last year we 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 will see over 500 people make decisions for Christ every year. Is that okay? Now, folks, we're going to begin to infuse you with a vision. That God's not called you just to start a church here in Lynchburg. But God's called this church to reach this city for Christ. I want to begin to just give you a bigger vision of what you have than what you're experiencing right now. So, you know, my sermon today is designed to help this group of people begin to gain traction and think and it's not and we're thinking well guys you have all these people in your church you know how how grace church grew when we had 50 75 we were your size and i was exhausted almost like where where willie is now does that make sense literally i called in michael fletcher and jerry daly the guys that were on my oversight team and i said guys i've I'm working 13 years. I am done. I can't do this anymore. And they offered a little bit of help. They offered a little financial assistance. But how many of you know there's sometimes when it comes to, oh God, you've got to do something? Well, guys, this church is at a, oh God, you've got to do something time. All right? So we're going to believe in prayer. We're going to believe that, that God can help us not just to grow this church, but begin to impact 
Lynchburg. And then also you have a, commu- a, a Bible college, which is the largest Bible college in the world on your front door. And what if we believe, begin to believe that God could begin to reach into that college and begin to give us some of the best and the brightest to help build this church, but also to be a part of extending God's kingdom? I think there has to be a connection in this community with beyond your walls. Amen? So, so today's message is entitled, What's in Your Hand? Sometimes we think, well, Grace Church has all these people. I, we, folks, I've got nine or ten pastors on staff, plus a multiple staff members. But you know what? It didn't start that way. It started where you are today. And you have to take where you are today and believe that the hope of the world is the local church. That means the people that are sitting in this room have all the things that we need to do to build this church, to advance God's kingdom, and as we'll begin to be faithful to use what's in our hand, God will begin to bring to us gifts outside that we need. See, right now, actually, Desiree is one of the few people that are on staff with me that came from another church. All our staff have come from internally, the people that were in our church. We have developed a discipleship culture that raises up, trains up. Folks, we've planted churches in Wilmington, North Carolina. We've planted churches in Columbia, South Carolina. We're sending missionaries all over the world. Do you know where they're coming from? From the local church. What's happened with a lot of churches is they go and they'll look for another church's people and say, let me hire you. Now, that's not the right way to do that. They'll look to liberty or some other thing. Inexperienced. Now, guys, it's great. You guys have that. But Bible college students don't know how to do ministry. They have an education. Does that make sense? I promise you, I went through five years of of Bible college. It did not teach me how to do ministry. It gave me a good, solid theological foundation. It's when God began to take me on that journey of how to begin to build the church We have seen thousands upon thousands of people come to Christ. We've seen leaders trained, churches planted, missionaries sent. Now we're going to just start, is that okay if I say for this next six months commitment, we're going to start infusing and stamping this, and this is where we're going? It's the vision of what God's called this church to do. And we're going to partner with that. Amen? So, if you have your Bibles with you, this is one of those sermons you better take notes. Okay, and I, I talk faster than you can write. So at the end of the day, I will tell you, I will send you my notes if you'll just ask for them. Okay, so that was the introduction. All right, that's getting ready. Now, I'm, I'm just asking you a little bit of latitude because we had a lot of information to cover today. Is that okay? All right. Now, if you would open your Bible to Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. Okay. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, the story of Moses. We all know the story of Moses, the children of Israel. God blessed them, and there was a, there was a plague in the land. God sent them into Egypt. Joseph, the rejected brother, ultimately becomes a second in command in Egypt. Joseph spares 
by God in, in Genesis chapter 50. He says, what you meant for evil, because his brothers had sold him into slavery. He says, what you meant for evil, God has turned and used it for good, for the saving of many. Sometimes these tragedies, we can't sometimes see what's going on. Just like with Joby Adams, even with this difficulty with Willie right now. But sometimes God will turn those tragedies in for the saving of the good of many. Does that make sense? So, so Joseph is there. They all moved there. All the Israelites moved there. Jacob and his 12 sons, they begin to prosper. So over a 400-year period, they're exploding. God's blessing, the favor of God is on them. And what happens, the Egyptians go, hey, these guys are going to outnumber us. They're going to outpower us. We need to do something. So they begin to put them into slavery. And so for years and years, the bondage that these, Egyptian, these Israelites are going through they begin to cry, oh God, send us deliverance. Oh God, bring healing. Oh God, bring hope. You know, as a pastor, I remember thinking I was going to be able to quit my job in just a couple months. And ten years later, exhausted. How many of you know sometimes when you think God's going to do something, it doesn't quite turn out like you think it is. And then something happens. So God raises up a woman who has a little baby boy. And they were, the, they, were, they were trying to wipe out the Israelites, so the Egyptians were having all the firstborn children put to death. So in order to save this child, Moses' mother and his sister, they put that basket, guide it down to where it ends up in Pharaoh, where Pharaoh's family, his daughter, his wife, all those things are. They take that little baby boy and raise him in their own household. Now, Moses later on finds out that he's an Israelite. See? Now, I'm going to tell you something. I believe that each one of you has a destiny and has a calling. And that destiny is with you before you were ever born. There are gifts, there are talents, there are skills that God has prepared in you before you were ever born. Well, Moses probably sensed a gift of leadership. Moses was the most educated. How many of you know Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible? He was a well-educated, well-trained Egyptian, or at least he thought. But God used that tragedy to prepare him. So that sense of destiny. And what happened is Moses, when he did find out he was an Israelite, one day he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and he intervened, thinking he was trying to help. Ultimately, he ended up killing the Egyptian. And Moses had to flee not only from the Egyptian. But he had to flee from the own people he thought was his family, the Israelites. And he thought, God, how could you use me again? How many of you have ever blown it thinking God can't use you again? So Moses flees out into the desert. And then for the next 40 years, he's wandering around the desert. And I'm going to talk about it. There was a time that that sense, how many of you know, the gifts and the call of God are without repentance, it says in Romans. In fact, you want to write that reference down? Romans 11:20 says the gift and the call of God are irrevocable. That means what's the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? The Holy Spirit is what comes in you when you're born again. And if you walk away from God, God's going to send the Holy Ghost and haunt you until you come back. Right? So you know Moses is out there those 40 years walking around Mount Sinai, Sinai, Mount Horeb. In fact, there's one place in Deuteronomy said they'd walked around the same mountain. And, and then what God says, is to, God says to them, 
It says, you have circled this mountain long enough. Get up and go. I want to ask you a question. Because we're going to go forward. There was a time that Moses had been circling the same area. And you know the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Moses sees this burning bush, goes up there, has an encounter with God. And you know what God does? Moses, first thing, you're walking on holy ground. And then God says, I have a destiny. I have a call. Now go back and do the job I created you for. I wonder how many times Moses in those 40 years was filling voids because he wasn't doing what God had created him to do. He went 40 years around that mountain. I, I, I would, just knowing my relationship with God, it's like this, God's not going to force you to do His will, and He's going to keep knocking on your door until you do His will. What's the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? Is God's going to haunt you until you come back to what you were created for. I believe many Christians are literally bored. I think many Christians are are missing a lot of what is in their life because they're not responding to what God's given them to do with their life. And if you ask most Christians, do you know your destiny? Do you know what God created you to do? So, when God spoke to Moses there on Mount Horeb, the first thing, he says, God, you're going to send me back to the Israelites to be their rescuer? And he says, God, you've got the wrong guy. God, you've got the wrong church. Right? And he says, God, how can I do this? He says, let's read Exodus. It says, then the Lord said to him in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Moses, what in the world is in your hand? And Moses goes, a stick. A stick. He says, Moses... I'm going to use what's in your hand and I'm going to use you use it to send you back to do what I've called you to do. What had Moses been for the last 40 years? Moses had been a shepherd leading sheep. Moses had been a shepherd leading sheep with a stick. And God says, I'm going to use what's in your hand, not what's outside of you, not what's beyond you, but what you've been doing, and I'm going to turn it, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to begin to anoint it with authority, and I'm going to begin to empower you through my power, not through your own efforts. Moses, you've, you've tried to be the leader without God's help, right? How I many of you know sometimes when Christianity, as believers in Christ, we can get a little ahead of God and try to, try to make God happen? You guys know what I'm talking about? You, you want something so bad that you're going to make it happen? Now, I can tell you some stories where I've tried to make God happen. I found, let's find out what God's doing. Let's find out what God's will is. And then let's line our life up with His will, and you're going to see where God guides, He provides. Supernatural miracles happen all the time. I can tell you thousands of stories. When we have time, maybe I will. Now let's jump over to the New Testament. Jesus came to the earth, we all know, to redeem mankind. Jesus was raised, had supernatural birth, conception, raised as a young child, grew in godly character, and didn't sin. How many of you would love to have a child that never sinned? 
oh my gosh. You know, actually when you told him to do something, he heard it with this ear and it lasted. All right. So Jesus is now beginning his earthly ministry. He always started his earthly ministry praying. He'd go out and pray all night. The longest prayer that Jesus ever prayed was who were going to be the disciples. So Jesus began to have this relationship. And what Jesus did is he always talked to people where they were, not where they want to be. Okay? So Jesus one time walked up to a group of disciples. And again, he had been been all night. The last night he had been with uh, doing miracles. He he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He came and began to teach the people. And pretty soon the people were on this lake. And they begin to push him so much that the lake is quickly, he's almost in the water. So he calls a couple of the disciples and says, hey guys, bring your boat over here. Okay? And so Jesus gets in the boat, preaches to the people. Okay? Now when do fishermen fish? Typically all night. In the morning. If you're a hunter, you know you, the best times are in the evening, in the morning. Well, fishing's kind of the same way. And so these this, these these disciples weren't disciples yet but they were fishermen and jesus says okay let's go fishing and they go oh my gosh jesus you know what time it is we've been fishing all night long all right how many of you know when god begins to call you he says what's in your hand so jesus took a couple fishermen and he began to use what was in their hands mark 1 16 to 17 as jesus walked beside the sea of galilee he saw simon and his brother andrew casting the net into the lake. They were fishermen, and Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we know a couple of these stories. It happened several times, not just one time. But Jesus says, Now let's go fishing. They set out. They've been fishing all night. And Jesus tells Peter, says, Peter, throw the net over. Now, Peter goes, Lord, I've been kind of following you around. You're, you're pretty cool. You do some amazing things. But we've been fishermen, and Jesus, you're a carpenter, we're fishermen, and we've been fishing all night, and they're not biting. And Jesus goes, Can I just, give, give, would you just trust? And Peter says, nevertheless, Lord, if you say so. Peter takes what's in his hand when he's doing what God's called him to do. And they bring in uh, so many fish that the nets begin to tear. They probably made more in that one net than they made in a month of fishing. And they realize that when God guides, he provides. And Peter says, who is this guy? And Jesus begins to reveal that he's the son of God. There's another time Jesus comes to the disciples, and he says that they saw them went mending their nets, washing their nets. Now the word, uh, right there in an early morning thing, and it says the word mending their nets, it's the same, it's the word cauterize in the Greek, to mend or to restore. That same verse is used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, and says God's called the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So that same word, equip, is the same word when Jesus came to the nets and says they, they were mending their nets. So what Jesus does is he says, guys, you guys have been fishing for fish. I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. I'm going to teach you to cauterize, 
to mend and restore people's lives. Come follow me. Now, Ephesians 4.11 says this. God's called the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You guys, we all know that, right? Now, let me ask you. Is it the job of the pastor to do the ministry? Let me ask that one more time. Is it the job of the pastor, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to do the ministry? Whose job is it to do the ministry? Right? The job of the pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry should be done by the people. Can I tell you I, what I think is the biggest lie that has been ever dubbed the church? That the pastor is the minister. How many churches? There are literally hundreds of thousands of small churches in America and around the world. And guess who does most of the ministry? He does all the marrying, all the burying, all the teaching, all the preaching. Has anybody ever been in a church like that? Why is it that most churches can't break 100 or 200 people? Even if we teach, we're supposed to do the ministry. That was Randy Thornton. I I knew Ephesians 4.11. But what I did not get implemented, even though I taught it, I taught small groups, I taught, it just didn't work for me. I thought it was me. Well, it was me. And God began to take me on a journey of helping how to help other people realize every member's a minister, every member's a missionary. I want you to think that clearly. Every member's a minister, every member's a missionary. See, what happens is people think that church, all that ministry is, is about church and what takes place on Sunday. Guys, right now I've got roughly close to 100 people in this room. And guess how many missionaries Cornerstone Community Church has in Lynchburg, North Carolina? Right now, I've got 100 missionaries and 100 ministers that should be out every day of the week doing ministry. But people have compartmentalized their Christian life where they think that what ministry is what happens on Sunday morning. Yes, it does, and no, it doesn't. So I'm going to ask that God would begin to give us a vision to help you to discover your destiny. I've got some young people here. Guys, there's two things God's going to ask you when you die. Okay? Two things. Two questions. First question He's going to ask you is, why should I let you into my heaven? Right? You're going to be standing before Jesus, and you're saying, Jesus, I want to get into heaven, and God's going to say, why? Why should I let you in? The right, let me tell you the wrong answer. The wrong answer is, I went to Cornerstone Community Church. The right answer is, I was a sinner. I tried to do good, but I couldn't. Like Moses, I tried to do good, but I couldn't. And I turned to God because I was a sinner, and I trusted in what Christ alone did for my salvation. Amen? The second question God's going to ask you. I gave you time. I gave you talent. I gave you resources. I gave you a destiny and a call. What 
in the world did you do with what I created you for? How many of you know God is going to expect a return on his investment in your life? And most people are saying, Pastor, God, they're going to say, God, I thought the pastor was supposed to do all the ministry. How many of you know God says, do you have a Bible? Did you ever read? Did you not know that you went around that mountain and I was knocking on your door over and over again? Will you respond to my destiny for your life? Is anybody uncomfortable yet? How many of you know God's going to ask you that question? Folks, God is not satisfied with a hundred people in Lynchburg. People say, my, my brother-in-law, not a, not a believer, says, Randy, don't you have enough people in your church? Haven't you started enough churches? And I says, as long as there's an unbeliever that, doesn't, that doesn't, has, hasn't come to Jesus, we're not going to ever stop reaching people for Jesus. We're never going to stop training people. We're never going to start stop telling people that they're called to ministry. Now, I may be a pastor in my careers in ministry, but you know what? Your job title is not what qualifies you for ministry. Every member's a minister. You take people, use what's in your hand. I want to ask you the question, what is in your hand right now? I'm a carpenter. I'm a, I'm, I, I, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I wonder if Billy Graham's mother, when she was rocking that little baby in the cradle, if she would have just been unfaithful, hadn't raised that young man to walk with Jesus, what would have happened? But that mama took her call of destiny and raised her children to follow Jesus, to know Scripture. She discipled them. The hand that rules, that rocks the cradle, rules the world. Billy Graham, who just passed away, led more people to Jesus Christ than any man ever in history. You know what he can attribute it to? A mama that rocked the cradle and said, Billy, if you do that again, you're going to get a spanking. And Billy, I know you don't want to go to church, but you're going to be drugged there no matter what. Billy, I'm praying for you, and you're going to follow God. We don't know. So what is it, the one thing? Well, I'm going to tell you something. God's called us to impact this community. We need 100 ministers to volunteer and say, we're going to be committed. Now, guys, I'm going to ask you for a six-month commitment. I'm going to ask you over the next six months to make some pretty radical commitments to become discipled, to become equipped, and to get involved and start seeing church as something I attend, but as something that I begin to give my life for. Because God's going to hold you accountable for what you do with your life. Has anything I said been unscriptural? Now, folks, man, bad thing about a pastor, he can start going. I haven't even got to my sermon yet. Second Timothy 1, 9 says, It is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work. 1 Corinthians seven twenty says, Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, many of them were slaves. Paul says this, he says, Each of you should remain in the situation 
he was in when God called him? Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you gain your freedom, do so. But then he goes on to say in the next couple of verses, he says, if you're free, so let me explain what that means. That means is bloom where you're planted. Psalms 37, it says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Don't worry about what the w- wicked person is doing. Don't fret about what they're doing. You be faithful with what I've given you where you are. So if you're a slave, let people know that you are now a slave that's experienced freedom in Jesus because freedom is not defined by who controls you, but it's who's controlling you on the inside. He says if you're a free person, you're no longer free. You're a slave to Jesus. Right? So, so, but he says if you can get free, Jesus doesn't want people in literal physical slavery. But he says if you have to, bloom where you're planted. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. So, you take people, you know, you know, let me just walk you through kind of a little bit of a journey. Now, somebody just tell me what time I need to finish. Because we're already probably getting, I haven't even gotten to start. We're not going to, I'm not going to keep you long. But somebody tell me what time to finish. Because I can't see that clock. How, how many more? How about ten? Okay. Now, I can go for an hour. I can go for four hours. You plug Randy in, it rattles. Okay. So, again, guys, I grew up as a Catholic. I went to church sometimes every day of the week. I was 16 years old. I had never, ever once met a Christian or heard the gospel. Ever. I was a little Catholic boy. Did the did the mass? I traveled with the priest. By the way, nothing ever happened, you know. So, you know, and I sensed even then. I, I I would say I loved God. But then our Catholic priest went away to a conference, and he came back, and he had changed. Now, anybody here former Catholic? Anybody? Okay, I got a few. Well, in Catholic, they have, they don't have Sunday school. They have catechism, and so in catechism. Uh, we had a, one of the ladies that was a teacher, a young lady in her mid-30s named Kathleen Tabor. She, she had a hole in her heart, a, a hereditary hole in her heart. And so this priest came back from this conference that he had been to. And he, said, he came back to Kathleen. He says, Kathleen, I'm here to give you your last rites. That means if you die with the Catholics, they give you, you kind of get a little special extra boost when you, when you get your last rites. Okay, so that was a big thing for a Catholic. And since she was having open heart surgery in her early 30s, and so he says, Kathleen, he says, but something's happened. I have seminary degrees on the wall. I know all about God. But this last week, God's gone from here to here. And I now realize it's not the religion that saves you but a relationship with Jesus, that longest 18 inches in the world. So he says, Kathleen, I want to share that if you do die, I want to make sure that you receive Christ as your Savior and that you put your trust in Him alone, not the church, for your salvation. So Kathleen prayed to receive Jesus. And and the priest says, I want to pray for you that God would heal you, fill you with the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? He did all that. 
She was born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and God instantly healed her heart. The next morning, they prepped her for surgery. He says, guys, we're not going into surgery until you guys check my heart. Because her blood, her, her flesh tones had come back in. She says, God's healed me. Ma'am, that's a really good thank you. Uh, but we're, we're getting you ready for surgery. She says, no, you're not. You're going to check. And guys, after keeping her there in a week, here's a picture with hole in heart, no hole in heart. All right? I saw a change in Father Kennedy. I w- went there as a Boy Scout every Saturday, earning my God and Country Merit Badge. I was there every day doing altar ministry, you know, the little, little red and white robe or black and white robe and carrying incense. I knew these people, and I saw God change their life. And I said, I don't know what you guys have, but I want what you've got. See? And then what happened is Kathleen came in, and she had that transformation in her life. She and her husband had come to Christ. They shared the gospel with me and 39 girls. And we almost all of us got saved. People started getting healed. Blind eyes, literally. 70-year-old woman that was blind couldn't get her driver's license. Healed. She went and got to get her driver's license. Ma'am, you're legally blind. No, I'm not. You know what her vision was when God, when she had it tested? 2020. I had a guy who I used to party and drink and get arrested with for underage drinking. His dad had, was a, a, a sheep rancher from Colorado. Been kicked in the head by a horse. I cataract over. Guess what happened with Joe Del Tondo? God healed him completely. Out of that little group of people, people started getting saved in the choir. People started getting healed all over the place. God started doing miracles all over. Eventually, what the Catholic Church, they do believe in miracles. They just don't like it when it happens. So they started stopping our little groups. They started, guys, out of that group, people literally went all over the world to be missionaries. So, I, I have some. I remember I started sensing a call to ministry after I gave my life to Christ. Now, how did I know? I can tell you the moment. I remember walking out of confession. I still was brand new. There was no believers. Guys, there were no people to disciple us. I went out, and there was a little boy sitting on the curb crying. And I says, hey, I sat down, the little boy's name, last name was Tobin. And I said, what's going on? And he says, my mom and dad just said they're getting a divorce, and I don't know what to do. And I didn't know what to do. I was 16 years old, and I just, I just, I took a rubber band and started making a little ball and just tried to cheer him up. But at that moment, guys, I can tell you when I knew I was called to the ministry. Now, what's the problem with a young Catholic boy? I was dating a little girl for several years, and I started sensing a call to ministry. I liked my girlfriend. I remember uh, we didn't know anything, so this Kathleen says, Hey, Randy, there's a, there's a, a lady in our town who has a, a student ministry. Maybe you ought to go, you and your girlfriend, go over there. So she started discipling us, and I started realizing, Hey, you can be married as a pa- if you feel a call to ministry. But it was then she began to speak to me. She says, Randy, there's going to be a day 
when you're the pastor of a New Testament church? Now, first of all, I didn't know what a pastor was, let alone a New Testament church. Okay? Guys, I believe that God speaks to all of us. God takes us where we are. I begin to sense a call to ministry. So what did I do? I just started walking with Jesus. I started reading my Bible. There was nobody to teach us. I had very little input. I just did what he told me. So I remember, God, I feel called to ministry. And then he says, I want you to go work in a bakery. After I graduated from high school, I said, Lord, what do you mean? Go work in a bakery. I thought I was called to ministry. So I went to this bakery. And I moved in with an aunt and an uncle 70 miles down the road. And guess what? I met my first real Christian. They, they were good, fundamental Baptists, loved Jesus. I learned how to share my faith. My, first, my little cousin taught me how to witness. You know, my first attempt at witnessing, I, I was so nervous. I walked up to a gas pump. I was going to tell and I couldn't do it. I said, Jesus loves you and ran away. <laughs> but you know what? If you'll begin to just do what God asks you to do. And then I'm sitting there, Lord, why, if I'm called to ministry, are you having me in a bakery? After a while, I'm there for about a year. My uncle comes out and says, Randy, you know, I've really been praying about this. And he says, I'm kind of wondering if you're not supposed to be in the Army. And I said, man, I was just reading my Bible. And it said, I'm supposed to be in the Army. And I'm going, what? I said, God, this is confusing. I'm called to ministry. You send me to bakery. Now you're telling me go in the Army. So I go home on the weekend, and my dad's a postman. And I, I pull in, and I said, uh, he, he comes home for lunch, and I'm sitting there, and he says, hey, Randy, good seeing you. Uh, my dad's not much for talking. He says, by the way, I was thinking about you this week. And he reaches in his mailbag, and he pulls out this little keychain and says, today's army's looking for a few good men or something like that. And I'm going, oh, that's weird. And then I go, our little group that we had all come to Christ, we had a meeting on a Sunday night because the Catholic Church had squelched us ever meeting at church. And so I went there, and the room was wall-to-wall people. And I'm sitting in this room, Kathleen's up there, all these, all these just wall-to-wall people. And I'm sitting there, and I'm praying. I'm literally bent over, and I'm saying, God, am I supposed to go in the army? God, what do you want me to do? And a lady literally right in front of me stood up and says, God's called you into the army, into the army of God. And I'm going, okay, I get it. So I think, okay, God, I don't understand, but if you'll just do what's in your hand. I was a baker. God used me in the bakery. Okay, So I thought, well, surely I'll I'll, I'll become something about ministry. So I went in, and there was chaplain's assistant. I'm going, chaplain's assistant? And God says, no. Lord, what in the world? So I went three different times to to the Army recruiter. And, and every time I said, well, God, I could be in ministry, a chaplain, you know, around people that know something about God. And God said, no. I said, God, I don't understand. He says, Randy, do this. I didn't even know what it was. I just signed up for it because God told me. Guess what? If I'd have been a chaplain's assistant, I'd have been typing on typewriters because they didn't have computers back then. I would have been an administrative assistant. And you know what? That ain't in this book. It would have killed me. You know where I was? I was out there with people. I had to, my, my job required me to be locked up for hours, almost days on end, and have a captive audience. Guys, I led so many people to Christ because I simply did what God told me to do. And then the army paid for my college career. 
right? So many times I have these little setbacks, but I just learned to be faithful. And I'm thinking, God, you're using the military. I learned leadership in the Army. I learned responsibility. Nobody in my family had ever had any type of education. Really, when I, when I came to Christ, I could hardly read. It's as I began to read my Bible that I really started learning how to read. I had a long ways to come, baby. See? But if you say, I can't do it, like Moses, God, you need to help me. Yes, God does need to help. But most of us, we, we just walk around the mountain. We don't respond to what God tells us to do. In Proverbs 18, verse 16, it says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. I'm going to actually close. I, that's about one-third of way into the sermon, and my church hates me when I tell them that. But, guys, we have three services. I can't go over 30 minutes. This is long enough. This is what you need. I believe that many of you have a lot more of what God wants to do in your life. And you're saying, I'm too busy. You don't see your work as a place of ministry. You don't see your work as a mission field for Jesus. And if you do church, you're going, you sometimes come to church and you say, God, somebody else can do it. Not me. How many of you know God's going to hold you accountable? One of the things we're going to do is we're going to ask this church. We're going to reboot this church a little bit. Is that okay? And some of you have been doing some. Some of you are, you guys are doing ministry. I, I sat down with some of the elders. And the list of things that these elders are doing is this and this and this and this. And I've talked to Brandy. And Brandy, you're doing this and this and this and this and this. Guys, we're going to have to change that. How many of you know that's not good? And then some of you are people that are doing ministry. But I believe that God said, we're going to do, have you ever seen that restart button? We're going to hit the restart button. And I'm going to just ask you, I know some of you have been really faithful. I'm going to ask you to make a six-month commitment to commit your life to serving, to giving. But guys, we're going to begin to send all kinds of different people in here equipping, training, and resourcing you. We're here to equip the saints, everybody say saints, and if that's one of you, we're going to do that. We're going to expect you to serve God. Amen? You may have to shuffle the deck some here, and some of you are going to have to serve just like this. You know, people say, it's not my gift. I mean, have you ever said that, you know? It's like in a family. It's not my gift. When a baby makes a messy diaper, that's not my gift. But let me tell you, if somebody doesn't change that diaper, it's going to get stinky real quick. And some of us are going to just have to do some things for a season that may not be your gift, but it just needs to be done or things are going to get stinky. But which would you rather see? A handful of people coming to Christ or you begin to see 500,000 people come to Christ on a consistent basis? So guys, I believe that God's destiny over this church. You guys, amazing building, amazing pastor. This community, oh my gosh, we just need to begin to equip the saints 
We need to begin to change your perspective of what you see. We need to begin to ask you the question, what's in your hand? And then whatever God places in your hand, grab it. And for the season that he has you in, be faithful with it. Amen? So, can I close in prayer? I want to ask you two things. I may have some people here that you, like me, grew up in church and you knew God here. You would say that you love Jesus. But if someone were to ask you, do you truly know Jesus in your heart? If you died today, would you go to heaven? So if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you've been in church, you love God, but you've never acknowledged that He's your Savior. If you're here, would you just raise your hand just acknowledge that? Anybody here? All right. Why don't we do this now? If you're here today and you know that there's more that God has for your life, would you be willing to say, God, I want to stand before you and hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. God, if you'll tell me what to do, I'll do it. Not just because Randy's saying it, but because, God, you're saying it to me. How many of you would be willing to pray that prayer? God, please use me. So let's pray that prayer. So, Father, I pray for these people that are in this room. That, God, that they'd begin to have a fresh eye. Lord, Moses walked around 40 years and had given up hope. God, didn't, you didn't retire. You just refire. So, Lord, I pray for, for those that are in this room that, God, they'd begin to have a belief and a faith that the best years are yet to come. So, Father, I pray that those that are here, that are they're, they're saying, God, use me, that I pray, God, that you begin to speak to them and that, Lord, you'd begin to put things in their hands where they can serve, where they can give their life in the marketplace, in their home, in the church to make a, a kingdom eternal difference. In Jesus' name, amen. One last little point. You know, there's a parable of the talents. By the way, God talks more, number one, about Jesus and salvation and a love for God. The second thing is, is God talks about resources. He doesn't always just talk about money. He talks about your talent. That means your time, your treasure, your, your, what God's placed in your hand. And God says, I expect a return from your life. He says, some of you would say, I only got one talent. Then God says, use it. Double it. God says, some of you say, I only have two. The man that took two talents, took it, invested it, doubled it, and God says, good, faithful servant, let me give you more. The guy who had five talents, God says, hey, you were faithful. He doubled it, and God says, let me give you more. The guy with ten talents, he was faithful, took it and used it. But the guy with one talent, he didn't use what was in his hand. He says, I'm afraid to use it. I'm not good enough. Come up with 25 reasons why he couldn't do what God wanted him to do. I, it's not my gift. How many of you go, God doesn't really care about your gift? He cares about your obedience. And your gift will make a way for you. And you're never going to know your gifts until you give yourself to whatever God places before you. And you go, 
Aren't you glad God didn't call me to be a chaplain's assistant? So, but the one that didn't use this gift, God says, you know what? I'll take from you, and you're going to suffer consequence. And I'm going to give it to somebody who's faithful. And I'm going to increase their ability. Some of you should be much further along, have done much more for the kingdom of God, but you've not taken what God's put before your hand, and God says, get in the game. Don't walk around the mountain again. So let's do something. Amen? I'm not trying to beat you up. Yeah, I am. Guys, wouldn't you rather me tell you the truth? That God's going to expect a return on His investment in your life? And God's going to expect you to be faithful and cause increase. I'm going to expect that if we're going to give our life to helping this church gain traction and developing leaders, we're going to expect you to have increase. I'm going to expect people to start getting saved. Amen? And you know what? When we're faithful with that, God, we've been working all night long and we haven't caught anything. I know what that's like. Someone can't tell me. I remember one time when, when I was preaching, two years into Grace Church, the lady who, who played the piano came. The single girl had gotten married. In North Carolina, they, if they think it's going to snow, they don't go to church. They shut the schools down. If they think. So it was going to snow that morning. So my kids were sick. The lady who came to play the piano and the man of the single girl who had gotten married showed up for church. Two years into Grace Church's church plant. And the lady goes, Randy, I'm gonna, after we play the worship set, I'm going to have to leave because it might snow. And my 10-minute drive home, I might get stuck. And the guy goes, Randy, I'll hang tight if you want somebody to preach to you. And I'm going. How many of you God's more interested in your obedience than in your success or your increase? And usually when God asks me to do something, the opposite happens. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you, I'm not that talented of a guy. But I will tell you this. When God asked me to do something, I just did it. Usually it was beyond my ability, beyond my provision. I usually didn't have resources. And God said, do it anyway. And that's when the supernatural began to take place. I promise you, we have stories of God told us go buy buildings and we had no money. Zero. I can tell you story after story of 20 years when when we had nothing, God would tell us do this and God would provide. Because where God guides, he provides. Okay, Randy, stop preaching. You've got plenty of time. Father, I pray over, over Cornerstone. God, we speak release over the call of God over this church. And Lord, we speak as Willie Taylor is sitting in that hospital. God, we're asking for a miracle to bring healing to his body. And Lord, it seems like the tragedies happened. But God, in the midst of tragedy, I pray that the life and the smell of Jesus would arise and be an incense into this community. And that these people would begin to have a vision to impact their community for Jesus Christ. Amen. Love you guys. Look forward to getting to know you. I personally, myself and my staff will be coming here 
just about every week or every other week, or and we'll be meeting with your staff uh, and leaders uh, by phone or by conference. So you're just going to be seeing a whole lot of us. Is that okay? Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.